Well, folks, it was another one of those weeks. I had a conference in Corvallis with my colleagues. Three days of uh, work that I, three days out of the office. I come back on Friday to put a sermon together for you. And I'm working on it, trying to make sense of these three texts that we have today, which are, you know, needless to say, they're kind of mind-blowing. Had a meeting with the church treasurer, two-and-a-half-hour meeting with the church treasurer. So by 5.30 at Friday night, you know, I'm like, you know, my mind is already fried. I'm not going to sit at my desk and try to hammer out, finish out a sermon. So I prayed over my desk, my work, and I said, God... Bless whatever it is I'm doing, make it be here, ready to go the next morning, tomorrow morning. Try and work on it the next morning, and it's just like, you know, it ain't happening, folks. (laughs) But, you know, God has a way of putting things into your lap sometimes when you just least expect it, and that's what happens. So we're going to forget this for today, okay? And uh, I'm going to tell you what. What happened? A kind of funny thing happened on the way to the office on Saturday morning. The night before, I was watching TV with Jill. Not network television, but cable television. And not Trinity Broadcasting Network or anything like that, right? So it's just regular cable television. And up pops an advertisement from a website talking about, or uh, from a company cop talking about Jesus. Well, you know, that gets my attention every time that happens. And you know, you've, you've watched TV before, and you've seen uh, commercials from Billy Graham, right? And uh, the, the Latter-day Saints Church. But this was different, okay? So this was a thing saying, he gets us. He gets us.com. So I went to that, and that's what I want to uh, share with you today. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor, I don't use the internet. I don't care. Okay, well, I get that. But your children do use the internet. And your grandchildren probably don't use the internet, but they use internet access on their smartphones, right? So they're on there. And I know for some of you, your children don't go to church, and your grandchildren are not churched. And that's just, a, that's just the reality, right? So they may come in contact with things like this. So you need to know about them, okay? You need to know what the world out there is saying about Jesus. You know, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, right? I mean, I'm not going to be here forever, right? Some of you might be, <laughs> right? Okay, but, uh, you know, when you, when you encounter things like this, you wonder, you know, how much longer do I have to... to when I'm gone and the next guy replaces me and the next guy after him, you know, what do I want people to say about me? Well, not that I picked the best hymns you've ever sung, right? I don't care about that. I just want people to say, you know, at St. Paul, I don't remember who the pastor was, I don't remember what he looked like, but I remember hearing about Jesus. Well, that's what you're going to hear about today from hegetsus.com. Here's how it starts out. I know you're not used to me uh, walking down the aisles and preaching, but don't worry. It's still a Lutheran service. Luther did it in the movie that came out a few years ago. Have you ever experienced frustration, sorrow, temptation? So has Jesus. Jesus understood what life was like for people in his day, especially for the marginalized. 
He was drawn to those on the fringes because he was one too. An immigrant, homeless, arrested, bullied. Through it all, Jesus welcomed outcasts, stood up for women. That's true, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what I preached uh, last Sunday? Hung out with troublemakers, even befriended enemies. He did it because of his radical love, empathy, and acceptance for all of us. Now, you can view this on your smartphone. You can also view this on your computer. But when you use it on your smartphone, there's little blocks that you can push with your finger that say, next steps. So when you click these next steps, then it comes up with different things about, <clears throat> about Jesus. So I'm just going to go, I don't, I don't have time to read all of these to you, but we're going to start with some of the ABCs here. Acceptance. If you have an open heart for all people, you're in good company. Jesus was radically inclusive. He went out of his way to care for the people society rejected. He befriended the vulnerable, like people with disabilities, prostitutes, and historically oppressed ethnic communities. He even treated women as equals in a time when such behavior was unheard of. Once Jesus was dining in the home of a prominent Pharisee, and during the meal, he instructed the host to invite people who could not repay him to the table. Well, I preached on that one not too long ago myself, didn't I? Jesus was criticized for dining with sinners, but he didn't let that stop him. He searched them out to invite them to eat and talk with him. He befriended military oppressors, tax collectors, well, that was Matthew, and violent nationalists in the hopes that his hospitality would fill them with compassion. His love was so radical, it even violated the law. Yeah, the laws of Moses, right? The powerful and wealthy were threatened by Jesus because they benefited from a system that held down certain groups of people. These rulers didn't, the Pharisees we're talking about here, and the Sadducees, these rulers didn't just fight against Jesus, they killed him. They did their best to silence his message of radical inclusion, but it still resonates today. If you've forgotten the power of accepting everyone, remember it now. Invite everyone you meet into your heart. Now, after you reach, read each one of these, you can click a little block that says Next Steps, and it'll take you to another website where you can read the Bible. So that's good, but I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Anger. Anger. Believe it or not, Jesus understood anger. And he knew how to channel surmounting rage into positive change. If you feel your own fuse burning low, take a breath and consider how Jesus might have approached the situation. Jesus gave us many examples for how to deal with petty frustrations like getting, out of, uh, like getting off in traffic or being slighted by a friend or getting cut off in traffic or being slighted by a friend. He never sought revenge but always approached his adversaries with love and compassion. This, this company or these folks that put this, they say always a lot when they talk about Jesus. And that's not necessarily the case. 
Jesus didn't always do certain things. But we get what they're saying here. They're trying to, uh, you know, they're trying to resonate, appeal to those who are reading this, right? However, Jesus also showed us that anger can sometimes be a sign that something is unjust. If you're deeply angered by injustice in your community, look to his example. When Jesus saw merchants peddling goods in the temple, he knew something was wrong. They turned a place of worship into a a place of personal gain, and their activities made it difficult for people to come and pray. Jesus didn't sit back and watch. He turned over their tables, shared harsh words, and drove them out of the temple. In this this instance, his righteous anger led to positive change. Jesus knew the difference between needless anger and purposeful anger. If you're feeling frustrated because you've been personally provoked or inconvenienced, take a beat to calm down. But if your anger points to something that hurts others, don't let it fester. Consider peaceful, productive actions that could make things right. Anxiety. We're only in the A's here. Don't worry, I'm not reading all these. It's the best ones. COVID, work, social and political differences, the 24-hour news cycle, it's hard to escape the many stressors of today's world. If you deal with bouts of anxiety and worry, oh, this is a good, this is a good phrase, take heart, right? That's, that's from the Bible, take heart. Jesus did too. Jesus dealt with bouts of, of anxiety and worry. Jesus knew the tensions that come with being disliked. In fact, He'd made some powerful enemies. One night, he became particularly worried because he knew his adversaries would come for him soon. He knew he'd be arrested, tortured, and executed, and it stressed him out. Jesus dealt with his anxiety the way many of us do. He retreated to a favorite quiet place, a garden of old growth, olive trees on the side of a mountain. He brought his friends along for support while he wrestled with his emotions. But when he wanted to pray, he wandered away a bit, probably so they wouldn't hear what he was saying. He asked God to make his problem go away, to give this responsibility to somebody else. But he knew God wasn't going to answer that prayer. Jesus said his soul was grieved to the point of death. That's how he described his anxiety. There were reports that he was so upset, he was sweating so much, it was like drops of blood that fell to the ground. Just like us, Jesus did his best to deal with it, and just like us, his coping mechanisms didn't work so well. His friends fell asleep. Despite his prayers, he still had the same impossible job to do, and the men who were hurting him found found him that night, right there, uh, uh, the men who were hunting him found him that night, right there in the garden. Yet despite his total failure to calm his anxiety, Jesus found the strength to face his accusers. He submitted to them willingly and without violence, knowing that his death would only further spread his message of radical love. Now, what do you notice about this part that I just read? They're really tapping into the human nature of Jesus, aren't they? Uh, His human nature however, could not have 
gotten up the strength to face his accusers, right? This is where his divine nature came in. Divine nature was able to give him the strength to obey the will of his father and go to the cross to die a horrible death. And this is something that he gets us, doesn't quite really tap into that much, is Jesus' divine nature. But I'll, I'll uh, talk just a little bit about that in a minute. Okay, there's one about arrested, in which Jesus knows what it's like to be arrested. And of course, it appeals to those who may have sons or daughters who have been incarcerated, right? Or perhaps, if any of you have been incarcerated, all right, Jesus gets that. He knows what it's like to be arrested. But I'm going to skip now to broken relationships. Friends who encourage risky behavior, gaslight us, or talk behind our backs. A trusted partner taking advantage of us emotionally, sexually, or financially. Broken relationships can be caused by many things. Even a simple disagreement with someone can lead to feelings of self-doubt or escalate into serious issues. If you've had relationships problems, you're not alone. Jesus did too. The more Jesus spread his message of radically inclusive love, the more he challenged authorities and alienated many who knew him well. In fact, his hometown friends in Nazareth rejected his teachings, ridiculed him, and nearly threw him off a cliff. It hurts when people we know don't believe us. But it's even more painful when those closest to us pull their support and stomp on our confidence. Even Jesus' own brothers doubted him. This must have devastated Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. But instead of faltering, Jesus offered a radical model of resilience and forgiveness. He spoke of, the, of an unforgiving servant who, after being absolved of a huge debt by his master, refused to forgive a petty debt and he, uh, he was owed by another. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Asked the master. Bullied. Shame, humiliation, fear. A hollow sadness. If you've ever been bullied, mocked, or harassed, you know these feelings well. What you may not know is that Jesus knew them too. As Jesus traveled the countryside preaching his radical message of love, you hear that a lot, and acceptance, he was often met with intimidation, anger, and jeers, and worse. Jesus was bullied. He knew it was coming. In fact, he told his friends and disciples to expect ridicule and hatred from others just for following him. Many didn't like Jesus' message. Others didn't like who he was hanging out with. Yet, through all the vitriol, Jesus remained steadfast, speaking his message of truth and hope. It got worse when Jesus was sentenced to death. Authorities whipped and mocked him. They made fun of his claims of being a new kind of leader by draping him with a royal robe and forcing a crown of thorns upon his head. They spit on him and hit him. Still, Jesus remained authentic not retaliating or bending to their ways. The bullying continued when Jesus was crucified. Bystanders taunted him, saying that if he truly was who he said he was, he would save himself. 
But Jesus knew who he was and what he had to do. He believed in himself and the task before him. He responded with love, asking for his tormentors to be forgiven. If you've been bullied because of your appearance, a disability, your race, or orientation, or some other reason, know that you're not alone. Jesus was bullied because of who he was, too. But he didn't give in. He knew his truth would overcome all. Isolation. Outcast, pariah, alien, these labels hurt. But Jesus gets it. He was an outsider too. If you've ever felt ostracized or somehow separate from the people around you, you're not alone. It may, it may seem counterintuitive today, but when Jesus was alive, he didn't belong. As he traveled, Jesus was, was without a home. In a way, he was forced to couch surf, asking for refuge from those who were kind enough to take him in. When a local man offered to join Jesus in his travels, he replied in warning, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Even Jesus longed for a home. Homes can be physical and metaphorical. If you've been cast out from your home or from a group of people who once felt like home, don't be discouraged. Jesus used his isolation for good. His experience gave him true empathy toward others. He treated outcasts like family because he was an outcast himself. If you're feeling isolated, seek out others who may feel the same. You could be someone's home. Judgment. Have you feared the judgment of others? I have. Well. Jesus' mother, Mary, was judged harshly in her time. Mary was a teenager with an unplanned pregnancy. Try to imagine what this young girl must have felt. She should have been, or she would have been terrified to tell her parents, to tell her community, to raise the child. In her culture, her supposed mistake brought shame on her family because she wasn't married. Even worse, her fiancé, Joseph, wasn't the father of the child. He knew because he'd never slept with her. Joseph not only forgave Mary, he stood by her side. He joined her in marriage to raise the child as his own. Imagine the judgment he faced. His parents questioned him. His friends mocked him for devoting himself to a girl like Mary, a girl who they believed had lost her virginity to another man. But they didn't know the whole story. They didn't listen. Despite the judgment, Mary and Joseph loved each other, and they loved their son, Jesus, a boy who would change the world. If you're facing unfair judgment, ignore the naysayers. Seek out someone who's willing to sit down and listen. And if you find yourself scowling at someone who's done something you don't agree with, try to put yourself in their shoes. You may be missing an important piece of their story. Now, one thing they don't mention in here is that Joseph didn't, I mean, he stood by Mary, right? But it wasn't because he was a, you know, he, he, a valiant, uh, uh, you know, chivalrous man, right? He heard the angel, right? And God came to him, sent his messenger to Joseph to tell him what was going on and to take heart, not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. 
kind of leave that out. But we know that, right? Refugee, this is a good one. We're almost done. Stranger, foreigner, alien, immigrant. I kind of wondered, immigrant? Okay, Jesus was in Israel. It's It's his home country. I'd forgotten something here. People who carry these labels often carry little else. They've usually left their home and everything they own to flee violence, persecution, famine, poverty, and more. It's easy to look away when someone comes to us desperate to escape circumstances we can't even imagine, to shrug them off as different, in need, a burden, and to leave the effort of providing and caring for them to someone else. Jesus didn't think this way. He didn't differentiate between neighbors and strangers. He loved, welcomed, and accepted all. His was a radical form of empathy, and he was especially mindful of the marginalized, the broken, the hungry, and the homeless. Perhaps that's because Mary, Joseph, and the newborn Jesus were refugees too. Remember this? You know about Jesus' birth in a manger in Bethlehem, but do you know what happened next? King Herod, worried about rumors of a newborn king of the Jews, ordered every infant boy in the land killed in an effort to preserve his throne. To protect Jesus, Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt. Strangers in a strange land, they stayed there until Herod's death. Jesus was unmatched in his ability to put himself in someone else's sandals. And he encouraged others to do the same by telling people that whatever they do for the least of us, they also do for him. To Jesus, the golden rule of loving your neighbor as yourself doesn't just apply to people we know. It also applies to people we don't know, especially those in need. All right, here's the one about women. Just kind of follow up with what I talked about last Sunday. The very first mention of Jesus in the Bible includes women, a radical idea at the time. Like many biographical biographical documents from those days. It starts with a genealogy. Typically, genealogies from that historical moment would not have included women. But Jesus' family tree lists many women as his ancestors. What's more, it includes women who many wrongly considered unremarkable and even immoral. It lists a prostitute who betrayed her people, a woman who pretended to be a prostitute in an act of desperation to become pregnant, a widow who wanted to marry to provide for her dead husband's mother, and a woman whose husband was killed in favor of her own life. Their inclusion is hugely symbolic of Jesus' love and respect for women during a time when they were viewed as lesser than. And let's also remember, this is the family in which Jesus came from, right? He understood that women were oppressed by men in that society and that they were often faced with unfair dilemmas. Jesus never treated women as second-class citizens. Now, I'm going to take exception to this never that this website uses because Jesus did treat the Syrophoenician woman a little bit not good at first, right? But he did later. In fact, he interacted with women in many ways that would have been considered unheard of in those days. Well, that is true. Some of Jesus' closest followers were women. Also true and a handful of wealthy, powerful women from the Jewish aristocracy became some of his biggest financial supporters, even though many of their husbands 
question Jesus. Well, I, mean, I didn't use this for last Sunday's sermon. One more. Troublemakers. Jesus hung out with troublemakers, and sometimes worse. The apostles, as his friends became known, were a mix of hot-headed, foul-mouthed commercial fishermen. Cynical and intolerant, rich kids, corrupt public officials, and violent nationalists, many of these men were faithless and pessimistic. Some even harmed others by charging exorbitant taxes on their own people and committing violent crimes in the name of patriotism. That would be Paul. They don't mention him by name here. Some befriended Jesus for the wrong reasons. They thought he would overthrow the government or take over the world with a new empire. Others were just surprised that someone so righteous would accept them into his circle. But slowly, they all came to understand Jesus and his message of radical love. And those troublemakers grew into a close-knit brotherhood deeply devoted to following Jesus. They found happiness in his teachings despite their beginnings. My friends, that's all good stuff. But what did you notice was missing from all that? I, I read most all of it to you that you can read when you get on this thing, except for hitting the button and going then to the Bible that they have. What did you notice was missing? Okay, so salvation, eternal life. Well, definitely the work of the Holy Spirit. The gospel, right? Notice that a lot of that was victim language. And so, we certainly know what it's like to be a victim, right? So we can get, he gets us. We get that whole theme, right? You feel victimized. Jesus, well, he knows what that's like. Well, that's good. Our God knows what it's like to be that. But we're also, we've also been the victimizer, haven't we? In, in many of the things that are mentioned, if, if not most of them, on this website. So there's nothing in there about forgiveness for those who are the perpetrators of this, which we all are, right? And then there's the atonement. The atonement is missing. Christ is made out to be a master empathizer, one who's walked in your shoes, which is true. That is certainly true. All right? But there's nothing in there about the atonement. My friends, I pray that this is a stepping stone, a launch pad perhaps, for those who might then read further and hear the gospel, as Chuck mentioned, was missing from this. Right? It is a kind of good news. It is a, a type of gospel that Jesus gets us. You know, he's, he knows what it's like to go through all these things. That is a gospel, kind of, but it's not the full gospel. The full gospel is that Jesus, had, Jesus died to take away all those victimizing things that we have done. And he's also paid for the sins of being victimized. You know, if somebody were to visit today, I don't see any first-time visitors here. If someone was to visit us today and read the readings that were selected by the lectionary, common lectionary, you know, you wouldn't really hear anything in here in these readings either about atonement 
stick around though, and uh, on one Sunday you will, on several Sundays you will, but these particular readings aren't, aren't, aren't about that. Okay, but there is this one from Revelation, however, that's got gospel in it. When John is on the island of Patmos and God gives him this mind-blowing vision, he hears a voice from the throne saying, look. You know, that's what behold means. Look. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Oh, that is, that is good news, isn't it? God is with us. He's not far away. And you know, many people in which this website will resonate with probably do feel like God is just not for them. Uh, he's far away. He's for other people. He's for the good Christians or whatever. Uh, this, I think, does a pretty good job in, in getting the mind and the heart a little closer to know who Jesus is. But, man, when, you, when you're out there encountering people who, who need to hear this message, you know, give them the gospel too. You know, Jesus is with us. God lives with us in Jesus Christ. And His Holy Spirit lives in us. What else... What, what more is there, is there to say? Um, that's it, folks. You, know, you are forgiven. So am I. Let's go forward in peace. Amen.